Wondering what it takes for a distillery to survive the effects of COVID-19? Turns out the answer is Wisconsin famous spirits, innovative thinking, and a whole lot of personality. Is it like cool lead-in music or something? Yeah. Does work? Well, you're not going to hear it now. <laughs> is it like baseball where you can choose your walk-up yeah, song? Your walk-up yeah. song? You, yeah. I'd, probably be, I'd probably be Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> Would it be? I don't know. That's true. Yeah. Little T-Swift gets you going. What yeah. would yours be? Same. Same. Do you, Same. Do you both be Taylor Swift? Join us for a tour of Central Standard Craft Distillery. So if it's W, Rye, it's, there you go. it's Washington, Washington Rye. Okay. Uh, this is bourbon. Now we have essentially 4,000 gallon fermenters now, and this is a 1,000 gallon mash ton. So in a week, we can crank out quite a bit of, of liquid, and we're always constantly turning that over. So, right. um, so that helps us be way more efficient um, because, thankfully, for the pandemic, I guess we had enough liquid for everybody to drink. You're perfectly <laughs> positioned in the market for yeah. billions of people being trapped in their homes suddenly and having to right. do something. Right. Yeah. A downtown Milwaukee distillery that embodies Wisconsin's love of a good time. Founded by bourbon fanatics Evan Hughes and Pat McQuillian. So we started painting them and it kind of creates a, yeah. a cool wall effect of the, our walker guy. It's the a bourbon barrel art is just something that I've seen explode on my totally. last few years. It's got kind of a communist vibe to it. <laughs> Come on, I didn't think about that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm not, hey, I think I, it's cool. Because you're capitalizing communism. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Their marketing genius and outstanding products are guaranteed to put a smile on your face and to keep you coming back for one more cocktail and one more story. I'm just curious, what's your connection to the air wing? I see that. Oh, that's sweet. About four years ago, a lot of the guys that, that were um, the maintenance guys from yeah. the 128th would come into the distillery. And so one, one guy, the team changed and, and they, um, they came to us and said, hey, can we put your logo on the front of one of the planes? We're like, yes, you yeah, can. That's <laughs> awesome, yeah, for sure. This is incredible. And, and so we um, go in, get up in the plane, and there, we get there, we have to do like the kind of the pre, pre-flight, you know, here's what's gonna happen. And so they're like, we're gonna go to Nebraska and we're gonna pick up the, the Thunderbirds and we're gonna, bring them back to, we're gonna refuel them and we're gonna bring them back to, for the air show. And we're like, wait, what? Like this is like, this day can't get any cooler, right? There's nothing they could have said that was cooler than that. And so we um, we do the whole the whole deal and we got to like lay down like in the boom, like as they were refueling the Thunderbirds. And so we get down and we're having, you know, cocktails afterwards on, on base, you know, and, and the Thunderbird pilots come in and... Well, we saw them land, right? Yeah. And get out of their planes and stuff and they're... Tight little uniforms and everything. Yeah, way cooler than we are. And so, you know, we, we this one guy comes up to us and he's like, "Hey, was was your logo on one of those planes that was up there?" We're like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Is that your truck?" Yeah. We're like, what are you guys doing later? I'm like, well, first of all, to back up, we're like, these guys are gonna be total dicks. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna be prima donnas, fly around and. These it just awesome turns out they actually are the coolest people in the world. <laughs> they, yeah, it turned out they were awesome. So yeah, so we actually that evening had our fourth year anniversary party. So they all they all came and it was uh, we had a blast. So Thank in you. essence, you spent a day in uh, in an air guard plane with your logo on it. Yep. Bob Euchre, Charlie Barons, yep. Thunderbird pilots. Yeah, hanging out on your fourth year anniversary. It was pretty great. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was probably the coolest <laughs> thing we've ever done. It's pretty good. This is the Right Idea Podcast. 
Welcome to Season 3 of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, Volunteer President and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and the work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. Today, we're interviewing Evan Hughes and Pat McQuillian, owners of Central Standard Craft Distillery in Milwaukee. In today's episode with Evan and Pat, we'll hear their story about how a night of drinking and brainstorming developed into a successful Wisconsin business. And I think you'll enjoy their story. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Story, or we can get it on the podcast. <laughs> no, no, about, about we, buying the truck. Yeah, so, so. we we bought a, a nineteen set. So we had some alcohol and in <laughs> in uh, Fort Collins, and this guy was like, "Hey, I'm selling this truck." We're like, "Great!" And um, and they showed us a picture. We're like, "Oh, we'll buy that truck. That's sweet." And so it was a nineteen seventy two Chevy Custom Ten, like all souped up. It's really cool. Um, and we at the time were looking for like a marketing vehicle and we were looking at sprinters and we're like, it's so boring mm-hmm. and like, this is perfect. So we bought it and, uh, the next morning after we sobered up and drove it home <laughs> and like really fast. So we got to like middle of Nebraska. He gave us, um, we, we knew the guy, good dude, actually originally from Wisconsin and he like let us keep a couple CDs that were in it, and and so we couldn't do any more white stripes. So we we literally stopped in like the middle of Nebraska, went to Walmart, got a T Swift CD, and then uh, brought <laughs> she it home. brought you home, brought it home <laughs> real right strong, now, yeah. Right out the whole way. <laughs> do you remember what song it was that you most attached? Kevin, to? it was the whole CD. <laughs> they're, all, ever... they're all hits. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's that's the secret to her, her success. Is everything's it's, it is still in the truck. <laughs> Is the truck here? So you still have a truck? It's, it's not. We have it in storage in, up in Fort Washington in a boat storage place. But it'll be it'll be here. We can send you pictures. It's pretty sweet. I would like to see it. It's like a matte black. It's really cool. Cool. Good deal. That was fun. <laughs> Where did you buy it? Where were you? Where did the story start? We were in Fort Collins. It was actually so okay. so good friends of ours um, who work for New Belgium, and we were out there for something different. Okay. And and so we were just we went to an event and and. Uh, one cocktail led to another, and then we bought a truck. So. And you wake up in the morning listening yeah. to Taylor Swift driving the truck home. Yep, it was great. Like Good deal. With on that note, and some amount of that is going to work its way to the podcast. I don't know what. So just oh, yeah. and I feel confident there will be Taylor Swift music somehow. So, well, hello everybody. We're here with the Right Idea Podcast at Central Standard Craft Distillery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're here with Evan Hughes and Pat McQuillian, and. We're thrilled to be here. So first, let me start by saying thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you. Good deal. And so we are in, uh, let, let's start off with just talk about the inception of the business. What brings us here today with you guys deciding to get together to found this? And then I've got a whole bunch of follow-up questions. Sure, I can, I can kick off. So um, Pat and I were, were friends. I, I moved to Milwaukee about 12-ish years ago. And, and we met like, and he, joined, he moved to Milwaukee right around the same time met right away and so we both had other careers that that we we traveled quite a bit and so we would always when we were on the road buy different craft bourbon or, or rye whiskeys okay and we would get together like once at least once a quarter probably um and and sample different things and just like not business just like no, personal yeah, life hanging and, out and this, and, this okay. idea hadn't yeah. even hatched yet we just enjoyed it and and then at that time there was kind of a lot of uh conversation about how milwaukee wasn't a great place for young entrepreneurs to start a business, you know, we found that actually through the process to be uh, not true. They were, it was extremely supportive. They were extremely supportive, but we decided like, all right, we both have real jobs. Let's start like a side hustle and like stop complaining about this and like, <laughs> and be a part of the solution. So um, we had some really bad ideas. Still think some were good. 
like, do you remember some of those bad ideas? There was a, a the, sing, the single use loofah. Yeah. A men's grooming <laughs> company. So party in it. Yeah. It's great. It's a great. Idea. Truly single use. Like, yeah. okay, I got it. You have the gym. You need to wash. Take Ready to go. Right. Yeah. Dispenser. Genius. Right. So we had some bad ideas, Sourcing like that one. And and so one night we had, you know, just honestly, we overserved ourselves, and we're like. What about this? Like, we love bourbon. Why don't we do, like, let's figure out how to start a distillery. So, you know, Pat looked at me. He's like, you know how to make it? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, do you? <laughs> no. Well, that's a pretty big hole in the business plan, but we'll figure that out. So we decided that night, we, we named the business. We picked the neighborhood we wanted to, to open in. And, and really, you know, once we sobered up the next day, texted each other. We're like, are we really doing this? Yep. Started then. That's outstanding. That was in 2012, and we opened in 2014. Okay. So was the name that, that you chose that day, was that the name? Yep. Really? That night. That, that you know, that tells you a lot about, like, marketing meetings, right? Like, if you just have a few drinks and, like, make a decision and go, it actually can work That's out. That's what I always say. That's <laughs> our marketing team. That's outstanding. So you start there. You said the neighborhood. You had a neighborhood you wanted to start in. Where was the first uh, facility? Yeah, so Walker's Point, um, we looked at, it, you know, what we really wanted to do was be a part of, of downtown Milwaukee mm-hmm. and be a part of helping to grow neighborhoods. And so Walker's Point was one that we had keyed in on and, and found a great uh, a great facility there. You know, as Evan had mentioned, we both had day, day jobs, so mm-hmm. we, this couldn't be something that was going to be huge and, and overwhelming. So we also wanted to make sure we could make a go of it. Right. Um, so we, we had a, a small space on uh, Second Street in Walker's Point, and uh, and it was great, and and that was a really good neighborhood for us to start in, and we'll always have a, a piece of our heart for right. sure. And then you know when we found this this larger facility um, here too, it was also building another neighborhood, right? So right. near West Side is an awesome awesome neighborhood, been great to us, and, and we didn't want to leave what we felt was our ethos of being in downtown Milwaukee or being in Milwaukee itself right um, and not going to a suburb we really wanted to stay here and, and find something that worked for us and for those well, I was gonna say for those who know the neighborhood we're right down the street from Miss Katie's diner on Clyburn right now right on the cusp of the Menominee Valley so yeah and, and to, to build on what Pat was talking about we um, our business we're small scrappy gritty and you know we're in a building that's you know, almost 100 years old. Right. And, you know, so like new new cement, um, you know, new I-beam, like that's just, that's not really our, our jam. Um, <laughs> we like the grittiness and we like being... Like, it would make it a heck of a lot easier if we decided to do it, it would be a lot cheaper and make it easier, but, you know. But you wouldn't have that crane that we saw. That's true. Today. And that you is, never know when that crane true. will come in handy. <laughs> and true. you need to lift a cement truck. But it might happen. But you, t- you talk about an important thing when, um, you know, bootstrapping a business and making sure that it is tight when you start, right, and that you can get to margin really quick is incredibly important. And uh, you, the creative process that you're both talking about is great because it's idea first, get that inception, and then you got to start to do the math behind it of can we actually make this go. Especially tough when you're working in two other jobs and adding facilities and taking on cost structure and all that. And so that really starts around, it sounds, 2014, and then gets going from there. Is that right? Okay. That's correct, yep. And has it been, so I know you have another facility in the work right now in Milwaukee. Talk about that. 
Yeah, so we um, we actually decommissioned our current our, our original facility and tasting room uh, in February, like three weeks before COVID. Okay. And which was actually somewhat helpful because we had planned not to have that revenue for a certain period of time. Okay. But we had uh, our our original facility was wonderful, but it was like eight seventeen eighteen hundred square feet total, and we we would constantly for private events be closing and people would be coming to our facility and be turned away. And it was, it was a becoming a, a pretty big problem for us. Okay. So we wanted to, to, to <laughs> grow, you know, our, our space and have more opportunities and, and again, double down and invest in Milwaukee. Right. And so we found, we looked at, at a bunch of different stuff and you know, we, you know, the cool part about Milwaukee is, is it's unlike some other markets, we don't tear down our old stuff. Mm -hmm. People invest back into it. And so we were able to see some really cool spaces and uh, we ended up settling on, um, it's 320 East Clybourne. It's, it is um, right downtown, right, you know, it's kitty corner underneath the, the freeway from the, the public market, um, right next to the, the Huron building where Hush Blackwell just moved. It really is the the corridor, and we're a great enhancement to the Third Ward. And when you look at when people come here for tourism, they stay downtown, go to the Third Ward, you know, and, and we we can be a stop on the way and, and help enhance downtown. So we're excited. Yeah, and I, I think the just to back up to the original location too was we were a little bit off the beaten path. You know, mm -hmm. Walker's Point is a great neighborhood, but those that come to town. Um, or going out, you know, it's more of a destination for them to get there. Right. This hopefully allows us to showcase what we do and have people just almost walk by and say, "Hey, what is that?" and give us a, give us a chance to. Right. So, <clears throat> also there is that, you know, we want to be that connection between downtown and the third ward, and we think we can help do that. Where there are a lot of businesses there, but there aren't a lot of inter entertainment opportunities. Right. And and experience opportunities, and that's what we feel like we hopefully will create there is people to have an experience and have a memory when they come to stay in town before they go to a festival or they're going to someone's birthday party or a wedding. Right. Hopefully we can be that part there where um, there are a lot of opportunities to do that. And that's what people want to do now is have experiences, right. not just go to the, to the corner bar all the time. Right. That still definitely has its place. And we all love going to those places. Um, for sporting events and, and get-togethers too, but we hope we can provide a little bit something different. Yeah, no, and you're—I mean, it's perfect, perfect location to be re between downtown, but yet you're at right at the uh, Lakefront Festival location, public markets over there. Obviously, a lot of stuff to draw foot traffic. So, well, you have—I mean, the rooftop view is there's not a lot of rooftop activations in Milwaukee. Okay, it, you know, our rooftop is—you can see over the Third Ward. You're up above the highway. You can see the lake and Summerfest and all the—you know. All the skyscrapers, it's, it's a really cool vantage point for the city. All you need is like a, a functioning city. And once you yeah. have that, <laughs> I'm not making light of the situation, but the sooner we get to that, the better for, yeah. for the world um, in addition to your business. So when is, when is that slated to open? July 22nd. Okay. Got that's, it. Our, that's our plan as of right now. Gotcha. So the facility we're in now is completely, it, it's not retail, it is basically, it looks like you have a space to be used for like tastings uh, as we walk in, is that mm -hmm. right? Are you are you doing that or are you going to yes. keep that at the other location? So that was that was kind of during the pandemic, we, we people could come in and buy, buy bottles okay. um, or buy gear. Um, that's something that we haven't really talked about if we're going to continue that. I think that in the future, once we get our, our downtown um, location open, um, I do think there will be an opportunity to do... We will do tours down there. We're in a hundred gallons still. Okay. And so we'll be making everything that we, we serve down there. But 
this is a much much better tour. So I think that we'll we will do some some tours here in the future. Okay, got it. Well, it's a great tour, and as you walk this around, we saw we saw a lot of labels, and I see right now on the shelf behind you both, you have a lot of labels. Talk to me a bit about the business model. So you, it looks to me like you have some stuff that is that is purely yours. That you produce it. You've got the recipe. It also looks like you might pick up labels from others too, who run product through you. But talk about how that how that works and how that came about. Well, I'll tell you, it's a terrible business model uh, <laughs> for you to start a distillery, put liquid into a barrel, put it on a rack, and let it sit there and hope that it's good. Cross your fingers that it's good. And, and, not, cross make, your and not make any money on it. Right. Right. So um, we learned pretty quick that, and that's why you also have. So that when, when I'm talking about that, that's obviously bourbons and rye. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the gins and the vodkas and the clear products, those are ready to uh, to put into a bottle as they come off the still. Okay. Um, so we started and had, quite frankly, once we got going, too many products, and we were trying to sell too many things, and we weren't getting what we needed out of it. Um, so we've really honed in on what we consider our core three and slowly trying to re-engage with, with more products as we go forward. Okay. But, um, you know, also we make no bones about the fact that Evan had mentioned we didn't know how to distill or what we were doing. Our first stuff was not great. I mean, it, it, it just wasn't. At the time we were like, oh yeah, it's pretty good, pretty right. good. Um, you know, we had an unfiltered vodka that's made with 100% rye, really great. But the market's not ready for that. When somebody just wants to take, they expect a vodka to be odorless, colorless, tasteless, and it goes with cranberry juice, it goes with orange juice, it goes with whatever you're drinking in the middle of the day at your kid's soccer practice, right? So <laughs> that was not happening with ours. You were okay. actually going to taste, taste vodka. the vodka. Right. Uh, Coincidentally, it won a bunch of awards, though. Yeah, it did win a bunch of awards. Yeah. Uh, and Belvedere was doing the same thing, right? Yeah. 100% rye unfiltered vodka. They're such followers. Right? <laughs> there we are. Leading the pack. And so we had to make that pivot because yeah. otherwise... I mean, otherwise your business is going to go in the tank and right. you get a bad reputation. Right? Right. So we did that, and that also consequently uh, became an award-winning vodka. But it was the things you learn along the way, and um, so those, you know, I would say our, our products, and we can talk about that later too. Is you know, Door County Cherry Vodka is an amazing product; it goes mm-hmm. with anything. North Brandy. We've since we started, that was one of our goals was to have a really great Wisconsin vodka, um, brandy that can compete across the board and be economical at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to find that on the shelf at a price that is going to compete with national brands. Mm-hmm. And and we've been seeing that, and that's been great. And then we have our Red Cabin, which is uh, our bourbon that's then finished in Cabernet, California wine barrels. It is an awesome product, too. And that is kind of goes back to a little bit of our ethos of trying to be approachable as well, because there are a lot of people that are either getting into the bourbon category that mm-hmm. haven't really tried bourbon before, and don't really know, you know, what should I be trying? This is something that has a little bit of that wine flavor to it, where you know there are a lot of women that are that are bourbon drinkers, or mm-hmm. you know they and drink wine. So does that kind of crossover as well? So those have been our, our three core products mm-hmm. um, that we're going forward with, and then we have you know our traditional vodka, we have our our rye and our bourbons as well, and then we are uh, have a new product coming out starting next week with our uh, guided trail gin. We're really excited about so. okay so that's and then it, so as far as that goes that, that's what we produce right, right. And we do have others that we co-pack for and that's great because they're local uh, for the most part that, that we work with but it costs a lot of money yeah that's a you know that's a lot of infrastructure right out there 
And there are people that are, just want to be marketing companies, and that's perfectly fine too. You can build a great brand off of that, and we can help them by doing so. And, and there's a, a gap in the market that we feel that we can fulfill where you the, the case minimums may be significantly uh, higher than somebody wants to outlay mm-hmm. and just wants to test a product or start going slow. So we can help fulfill that and be that in between for people. And that's been, that's been good for us um, as we grow as well. How does that business come about? Is that a matter of you're going out and knocking on doors and saying we can we can pick up runs for you, or is it they're coming to you, or are there brokers that put yeah, this together? Yeah, so you know the the one you know the the one public relationship that we have is is Kohler, and that, that okay. was our first partner, um, and and they've been great to work with, and and it was their idea they approached they approached us, and and we worked with their their team on developing the the dark chocolate brandy and the mint chocolate brandy, and it's an, it's an amazing product mm-hmm. um, all natural use you know chocolate they make up a color it's really cool um, that one um, came about that way I think to Pat's point our other partners we're filling a, a hole in the market so if you were to co-pack or start let's say you want to start a vodka company you go to a big co-packer it's gonna be a, a 10,000 case minimum okay that's hundred and twenty thousand bottles okay like unless it's quite you're, a start yeah <laughs> and you gotta pay up front for that Okay. Yeah. So a lot of risk before they even put any liquid in the bottle. So right. you know, we look at it and go, we've got all the infrastructure. You know, our current. You know, we're we're growing really fast as Central Standard, but there is time on the line, and we've got the bodies um, and the and the capacity to do so. Um, so we really like working with these people and then growing with them, and and, and uh, the relationships have turned into ones that, you know, it, it kind of was like a means to end for us at one right. point. But now it's something that we want. We've got such a good relationship with them that we want to grow with them, and they want to grow with us. So, well, and to your point, when you have all these fixed assets out there, yeah. to be able to keep them utilized, like that's great. Yeah, it's outstanding. Plus, you're helping other businesses get the bottling line sits there whether it's running or not. Yeah, right. But it doesn't <laughs> make any money if you don't turn it on. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so, tell us about your team in total. We know that you two are here. Who else? <clears throat> who else is part of your team? Like, how many staff does it take to run this place? Yeah, so we currently have a staff of 16. Okay. Um, that will grow significantly with our new location. Um, so we did have about 10 people at our previous location when we, uh, when we decommissioned that. But we will probably triple mm-hmm. that number okay. here once we open because there are a significant amount of square footage and, and different experiences within that, which is awesome. And right. we're thrilled to be able to, to have that many people within the building. It's also a headache to try and have to manage, but right. uh, but it's great. So we currently have uh, we have our sales staff that are out every day in the market, making sure that people know who Central Standard mm-hmm. is and creating those relationships and selling that with our distributor partners. Um, we have our internal staff here that uh, accounting and things uh, of that nature and operations, and then we have um, the distillers. We have two distillers, and then we have three on the on the packaging line. Okay, so. We have, we have a lot of people that are um, out and about in the market and, uh, and a lot of people in this building as well, and, and it's great to have them. Gotcha. I want to come back and ask a couple questions about the distribution model, but the, one of the, one of the, as we've gone through this season three and we're talking to business owners, we're, all, we're going to talk a bit about the effect of COVID-19 and stuff, but it, it's had strange effects from everything from demand to uh, the labor market. How are you finding it in terms of being able to find the people you want to hire? How is that situation playing out for you at this point? Well, we've been really lucky okay. in, in that regard. Um, you know, the mo- almost everyone that's been with us has been with us for over two years. Okay. 
um, we we were able to invest in a, in a couple of people actually during the pandemic. So we actually did internal investment to grow so that we could be ready for growth okay. uh, coming into this year. We were in a position to do that, and which was helpful, uh, but also terrifying to, to yeah. do that, right? So, right. but we felt that it was important. And one of the, the people that we, two of the people that we brought on um, work for the packaging because our packaging was <clears throat> is growing and we know that we're gonna be going to more states and we just needed to get them up and running. Right. And they were already known to us. So one had worked for us in a different capacity um, at the tasting room and another had worked um, at a brewery that we knew that um, and was really good looking for, for a position so okay. we, we've been lucky in that regard we do know that as we grow positions of skill are going to be a little bit more difficult um, in that that what we've done is tried to invest in those benefit packages which is really hard for small business right right so two years ago I think it was a two or three years ago now we we started uh, offering health care and health benefits and that was terrifying for yeah. I think that's a huge chunk for a business our size to start taking on the benefits for that. Right. But what it has done is given our employees a comfort level to know that they have that there. And they're, you know, most people are younger that work for us, that they're growing a family, that they have some security in that regard, and also to attract talent too. Right. right? So some are coming from, they want to come to a craft business and be able to work for some, someone that's starting up, um, and, but they're going to come probably from a corporate job. Right. right where they had a 401k or in other benefits and we just can't we're just not in a position to offer that but we can offer them a flexible work schedule mm -hmm. we can't offer them vacation days we can't offer them some of these other you know healthcare benefits too so i think that's helped us in that regard right. um, where we can't offer the world but we can offer an opportunity right yeah no and it's it's right crafting that right mix that gets the talent in the door that you need um and it's a challenge especially when you're starting out and growing a business it's a lot to take on but so. it's something that we're I mean we've been committed in investing in our in our people since day one and I mean mm -hmm. you know we're you know right now we're looking at the 401k options and you know that's something that's a goal of ours for this year and and you know we're proud to be able to do that and, and we we feel that the team really appreciates it right well, and Evan says all the time one of the things that, that we feel really strongly about is to see our people grow and not only just professionally but Personally, right. Mm -hmm. So several people bought houses or new cars or, you know, got married, and and some of that's because of being in, in this building, right, and, right. and helping them out in that regard of, of giving them a stable life, um, and, and we're proud of that. So absolutely. Well, that's how you grow a community. Um, turns out politicians don't do this, and uh, like real people do. Go figure. <laughs> Who knew? Um, talk about your distribution model. So you you obviously make the product. You have some people again. It's, your recipes, your product, you have some people that you're, you're co-packaging with, uh, but to get the product into uh, the retail outlets, the grocery stores, the liquor stores, you have to find distributors and basically go from there. Talk about that, that process. Yeah, so the, the, the sales model for, for a distillery um, or a supplier is we're, we're considered, uh, it, it's, it's different than most industries. So we have to, to go through what's called the three-tiered system. So we're the supplier, we make, we make the product, mm -hmm. Um, we, we legally have to work with the distributor. Um, so we sell to a distributor, then the distributor sells it to the, the, the whether it's a bar, restaurant, grocery store, 
uh, and then the, the general public purchase it from those from those outlets. Mm-hmm. So you know, in internally, the way that we look at it, again, going back to you know anyone who wants to start a craft beverage business, whether it's a distillery or a brewery or a winery, we have to sell our product three times, right? But we've got one yeah. customer. <laughs> so the distributor, we've got great distributor partners. Um, we're with Badger Liquor and and Frank over in Madison, and um, you know, we're very fortunate. Uh, but we have to sell it to a distributor. Then we have to, and they're our end customer. Then we've got to to spend money with the distributor to make sure that that we're getting um, share of voice. Mm-hmm. We have to spend spend money and market to the to the. Um, to the bar, restaurant, retailer, mm-hmm. um, you know, do incentives to make sure that we're pulling bottles off the shelf, and then we've got to let the general public know that we even exist, right. and and why they should be buying our product over a large multinational brand, right? So, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a different model um, than most. You know, if you were, um, you know, if you're selling loofahs, you could just go. Right <laughs> <to the market. laughs> More simplicity. <laughs> I need this name brand loofah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so I, I, you know, the funny thing about that and how naive we were when we started, we're like, oh, we're craft distillery, we're local, yeah. local, everybody's going to want to buy us, right? <laughs> like, nope, that's not how that works. <laughs> Figure the distributor would sell it to, like they'd be out there behind it. No, that's not how it works. Well, and, and, oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say that that's, that's on us. That's not on anybody else. We just were naive enough to think that like, hey, People are going to support us. They're going to hear this name, and they're just going to. I'm sure it's going to be on the radio all the time. People are going to talk about it. They're going to find it in the store, and there's going to be placements. That crap don't happen. Well, and, and so you know, to that point though, and Pat was talking about you know some of our human capital. We, you know, we we hired um, late last year a gentleman by the name of Jim Cantor. He came. To, he was the the general manager for uh, Miller Coors here in in, in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and and really, we brought Jim in. To help us working with distributors is, is is a different animal, and you know, not saying good or bad. It's just we didn't know how to how to work with them. We yeah. didn't know how to incentivize them. If you know, Jim, you know, his biggest strength is he understands exactly how our distributor partners want to be worked with, and and it's helped it's helped a ton. And and um, different programming ideas where you know when you're a small business, it's it's tough, you know, because you you have your product, you sell it for a certain amount. You have a certain margin, and then like down the channel, everyone's got their hand out. Right. You're like, well, you know, we <laughs> right. we you know, at, at first it was kind of offensive, and now it's like, okay, now we understand the playing field, and we can shift our business model because, you know, entrepreneurship, I think in general is, you know, we always say we're building the plane as we're flying it. I mean, we have right. you know a budget, a business plan, you know, every year it changes, right? So, being uh, being able to adjust and adapt has been really important for us. Yeah, because your end state is get the bottle on the shelf at the right eye level with yeah. a price tag that makes sense relative to the other options. And you got to think through a lot in the distribution model because models, to your point, like there are people with their hands out and it's part of the way it's been structured. Whether it was the right way to structure it or not, it is what it is and you have to play to get it there. That's well, and just, just as we're you know on supply chain, you know, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but how the model works is let's say our red cabin, our bottle. Let's say it's uh, let's say we can save twenty two cents a bottle, right? That equates to a dollar cheaper on the shelf. Yeah. So like penny, if not more. Yeah, so. penny pennies really matter in our business, right? Uh, because it, again, there's 
there are people doing you know valuable things you know we sell it for x the distributor marks it up because they're providing value the retailer marks it up because i don't know that's how they make money obviously right, right. and so then the end the end consumer um you know it's the price on the shelf yeah exactly yeah there's a lot going into that and as we go to the grocery store, the liquor store, whatever, pick up what we want, right? Like the, the math that gets it there. Um, you have to be thinking through every single step of that. And we were really fortunate, actually, while we're on that topic. You know, last year, um, so President Trump, two, three years ago, actually, signed, he reduced our, our federal taxes. Mm-hmm. And so before that happened, our, our number one spend and ingredient was taxes. We were taxed really? at thirteen fifty a gallon. It's huge. That is huge. So, wow. so that's that's you know so so President Trump did that. Then it was kicked down the road a year, um, and then it was going to sunset again. And, and think, I mean, think, you know, our business would look a lot different today had that not been made permanent. So it right. went from from thirteen. What was it? Thirteen fifty to two seventy. Two seventy. So wow, a gallon. Yeah, that's so immense. Huge difference. And, 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 it levels the playing field for craft distillers. Right. There, there is a, a provision, like as soon as you get to 100,000 gallons, then you start paying that higher amount. So okay. the larger guys are paying a, a, a larger tax. Right. But it allows for those like us that, you know, Jim Beam doesn't know who we are. Sure. We're not, gonna, we're not playing on their level, but at least we can be on the shelf together. Right. 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 So it, it's, it's huge for us because what we did with that money that we were able to plow back into the business within that first year of having that we hired five people yeah right and we bought all that equipment a, a building a building yes it, again it, it might it, be sitting vacant it, if not yeah it it's made significant a, it made a, it i guess it gave us the courage and the nudge to to uh to, to to make the investments right but again there was like there was about two years of uncertainty and it was hard to make those decisions and it got to a point where we're like we just can't you know we're you know, we're really active in trying to, to lobby and we, you know, federally and, and, and state and locally, but like, it got to a point where it was like, it's a coin flip, but yeah. what are we going to do? Like, we got to move forward and stop worrying about what might happen or what might not happen and like, go, go pay attention to our plan. And if the worst case scenario, you know, here's what we're going to do to figure it out. Yeah. Well, this is why we're doing this podcast and having these conversations, frankly, right? Like, I think at a high level, we're out there and many conservatives are saying things like, look, if you lessen tax burdens, you encourage economic growth. And yeah. your story that you just told is literally that in the terms of like a business growing and people being hired. And guess what? That growth generates tax revenue for the government. And like it's, it's a yep. virtuous cycle that's good. And we get into these weird debates of like, what kind of size check is the government going to cut you this month? And what you don't realize is like that's a finite resource, literally borrowed from other countries, unfortunately, versus the creation of value, which is what you're doing. And value generates wealth. And um, yeah, that's why we're having these stories. It's so important to see lessening of a tax burden leads to people having jobs. They're going to go off and do great things with their life, hopefully here, sometimes elsewhere. That's going to create other good virtuous cycles too. It's growth. That's great. And one of the things as we're talking through this, you talked about some of the people you hired uh, from Miller. Uh, there's a lot of thought out there about just like economic clusters and this concept that like certain regions have uh, clusters that are built into them. And obviously Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin, manufacturing is a big part of that. We're in a facility that's been used for manufacturing at various points. Alcohol production is a big part of that too. So 
I have to think, just as you're starting a craft distillery in Milwaukee, there's just a lot of like economic infrastructure around the production of alcohol here. Is that am I wrong or like how does that play you know, into you? You're I think you're you're right to a certain extent. So we're we're actually really involved in in uh, Fab Wisconsin food the food and beverage cluster, and and they they were certainly were helpful for us as we were as we were getting going, connecting us with the right people okay. to help us. You know, you know we we're very big believers on. Just have a conversation with someone way smarter than you, and they'll give you all the See answers. What yeah, and so, <laughs> and so instead of trying to figure it out on our own, but right. you know, we um, when the first distillery started since Prohibition in Wisconsin in 2006, so that you know when we started in 2014, try hiring a distiller in Wisconsin. At the time, there were like five, and they had jobs, so. It was tough. So, you know, right. for, for us, going back to, to the previous conversation, like we, we hired somebody with the right background, engineering, science, right, that can figure, that, that theoretically understands it, had never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, it was an interesting and, and a little bit unnerving process to go through. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're very fortunate. It's amazing how many food and beverage companies are, are in Wisconsin, both very, very, very large and, and small. And the cool thing about our, that community and just I think beverage and craft beverage in general is it's ninety nine percent asshole free. Everyone's willing <laughs> to help you. You just got to ask the question and put yourself out there. Right, right. Yeah, and Evan's done a really great job of being part of the the different guilds that are out there and helping to bring the craft beverage coalition together, um, where it's wineries, breweries, and distilleries, um, and the distillers guild as well, where. It is connecting people, and, and I think sometimes Evan and I come from it a little bit differently than others where they may get into it because they had a passion for it. They were doing it at home. Um, disclaimer, distilling at home is illegal. <laughs> Brewing, you can't. But that also leads to Evan's point is like it's hard to find distillers because yeah. brewers, people brew beer at home, like many in this room may have, but you can't distill at home that you could, you could to blow yourself up. Right. Because of the high proof alcohol, right. but or go blind from drinking what you're not supposed to drink. Right. <laughs> so, so th- those people that did start, they may have had a passion for it, and they were. And we come from, I think, more of a business perspective, and hiring the right people around us that are smarter, give them an opportunity to grow. Versus, hey, we, I mean, we have a passion for drinking alcohol and, sure. and, and making good Tasting. spirits. Tasting, tasting, tasting. But hiring the right people and giving them an opportunity to grow. I think that's where that is too. And, and we really like connecting people. I think that's one of our strengths is, is talking to people, understanding what they need and how we can help them. Right. right. So Evan's done a great job of doing that and bringing those people together and saying, Hey, if you're struggling, how can we help you? Right. You know, we talk to distillers and brewers and inventors all the time and seeing you know, what's out there. How can we help? Hey, we're having this problem probably on a, at least a monthly basis, if not more, we'll call and say, Hey, we're having this issue. Have you, you know, run into it or know somebody that might? Um, and they're always willing to help, right? So, which is great, right? Well, you've talked about um, the impact of specifically the tax cuts and, and the boost it gives to the business and the growth. What else, as you look at your your space, your industry, do you see in terms of either regulatory changes that could be made, simple fixes that would actually like open things up? Are there things like that or no? As you How much time out. do we have left? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> because it Fill a couple while. podcasts? Yeah, yeah so yeah. There, there's definitely things. And, you know, alcohol law in Wisconsin, so it's, it's all referred to as Chapter 125, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
what our group, we came together um, probably four or five years ago now. And so we had the Winery Association, the Brewers Guild, and the mm-hmm. Distillers Guild. We'd literally be passing each other in the hallway at the Capitol, <laughs> arguing for the same stuff, right? So the idea was, why don't we consolidate, have one pack, organize everything. We're all, we're, the, our main goal is to just clean up 125, mm-hmm. right? So there are just so many inconsistencies and carve-outs. We're not trying to, to change these things to benefit us or hurt somebody else. It's so, as, as more and more entrepreneurs get into the space, they can understand what's legal and what's not. The rules. I mean, yeah. yeah. We yeah, have to yeah. call Hush Blackwell and be like, hey, this is how we are reading this. Can you tell us? And they're like, well, yes, but. And you're like, well, you know, how do you make an investment based on, yeah, you probably can do it. <laughs> so it, it's very difficult. So what we're trying to do is, is really modernize Chapter 125. And with the, the history that we have in, in Wisconsin of alcohol, mm-hmm. let's be a leader on it. And, and we're not the only state that has the problem, but little like simple things like, you know, uh, a brewery can stay open until midnight. A distillery can stay open all night on our permit. So if okay. somebody walks to our door and we're here at 4 a.m., we can legally sell them a bottle. That, I mean, do we? No, of course not. That's crazy. <laughs> but wineries have to close and have to have everyone off their premises by 9 p.m. Really? Why? <laughs> just let's all close at midnight. You know, like right. so. Just let's let's create some some uh, some parity here, so we all can understand and, and be on the same playing field. Right. Well, I, I think that that is a conversation that we have with a lot of our business owners. That clarity is key for investment. Like uh, when regulatory uh, when, when regulations aren't clear. It holds up money. It, it to your point that you're making right now, it just makes people think twice. Does this yeah. make sense? And that's what locks up the years of growth as well, too. So your point in clarity is well taken. Um, when you talk about those closing times, that is for the actual manufacturing facilities or the retail end of the retail. Like how, okay, I mean, so Got so it. we're um, again, we're all we all can. <laughs> could go on for a very long time. Yeah. So each. So wineries can do X, breweries can do Y, we can do Z. Okay. Um, so. Uh, like a brewery can have a brew pub and have a full class B liquor license. Okay. So you can go to you know one of our, our you know our friends at the Great Dane. They're a brew pub. They they make really good beer. They have a restaurant. They can also sell our brandy. Uh, for us, you know, we're opening up our downtown facility. Mm-hmm. We're able to have a class B fermented beverage license. That's the only thing we're allowed to have. Okay. Our manufacturer's permit gives us the the ability to sell all of our spirits that we manu- manufacture on site. So we can't make something here, take it down there. That's illegal. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but we also, for cocktails, let's say that that um, uh, we want to make a Manhattan. We can't buy vermouth. That's illegal. We have to make vermouth to make a really? Manhattan. Yeah, so yeah. like little things like that. So we yeah. can't have wine. Okay. I Because vermouth why. is classified as a... Wine product? Or just or? anything. So oh, so okay. if we um, bitters, yeah, can't can't buy bitters, and you know, so it's all alcohol that is manufactured on site. Okay. So again, all those little things. I don't think the general public is going to come in and be like, "Did you make that bit? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, if you are allowed to buy bitters, this whole house of cards is coming down." <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the, I think the consumer comes in, whether it's a winery, a brewery, or a distillery. And, and they're looking for an experience. So right. 
you know, they assume they can buy a cocktail. They don't understand what's happening behind the scenes and what we have to do to produce products that we don't even sell right? Uh, in order to make that cocktail. Right. That is crazy. I, I So I understood that this was kind of a tangled universe between uh, distillers and brewers and such, but I, I never understood to that degree. So that that is really nuts. Um, can you sell anything out of this facility? Can you, can you we can, yeah. So, so legally, okay. for distiller and under our manufacturer's permit, mm-hmm. we can have up to two facilities, and each facility has the ability to have a retail space. So we can okay. sell a bottle out of here, and we can sell a bottle downtown. Okay. But again, we're out of space here. Yeah. Let's say we want to expand. Right. We'd have to decommission either our downtown place, which I can tell you the amount of money we're investing down there. That will never be decommissioned. <laughs> um, we'd have to decommission this place in order to, to make a larger distillery instead of just okay. being able to you know, buy a property two doors down and invest. We're capped at two. Oh, so literally it's two physical we're locations capped. in law. We're capped, yeah. So you can have as many bars That's as you want. That's incredibly arbitrary. It is insane. arbitrary. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Well, here again, this is why we're having these conversations. And again, when you get into, and I think this is important for our audience to hear this, right? Like, these aren't just vague concepts when we say simplicity and regulation is a good thing. Clarity. Um, it, it just yields people making better investments, smarter investments, more investments. And again, the kind of thing that actually drives growth. And this is the kind of thing we want to illuminate. Like, when you vaguely hear that this is kind of a tangled mess around uh, alcohol production in the state of Wisconsin, this is it in real time. If you want to uncork more growth, let's get to simplicity, clarity, and common sense and allow people to invest money intelligently. Um, talk about, well, so speaking of uh, tangled messes and complicated things, uh, we are, we've already mentioned COVID-19. Obviously, as we're talking to businesses, there's all sorts of uh, impacts on businesses. And it really varies. Obviously, we've talked to a few restaurants, and this has been crushing in so many different ways. They're finding a way through it. Um, we've talked to manufacturers. Um, they're having, uh, you know, huge hits to supply chain. They're also having problems with uh, demand on the on the other end of it. So we're seeing all sorts of stuff, and then we're seeing certain industries obviously where demand is spiked uh, because of the effect of people literally being locked in their ho- their homes for extended periods. Talk about the the specific effect of COVID nineteen on your market and what you're seeing. Yeah, I think for us when we when when this whole thing started. Um, it, it was, there were a lot of different emotions, right? It was one, oh my God, we're going out of business. We're going to lose our homes. What are we going to do? Um, to also, Evan and I have this mantra of always run toward problems, right? So how can we be helpful? How do we figure this out? What do we need to do? And so one of the first things we had been hearing rumblings that, um, disinfectant and sanitizers were hard to get. And we started thinking, okay, look, we have a lot of high proof alcohol in here. Is there something that we can do? Right. So this happened on like a Sunday, right? You and I were talking and we're like, okay, on Monday we get in, we figure out how we can do this. Yep. So there was some guidance out there. We were figure out some recipes, but more importantly, that's where the supply chain came into, um, into effect too for us in that regard where our bottle supplier um, who supplies our glass also happens to supply a lot of plastic. So we were able to call them WB Bottle, and they were great. Got us a bunch of bottles, trigger sprayers. Okay, here we are. Like now we're starting to make disinfectant. We're giving right. it away to the community to help full, to all these first responders and, and all that. Got into sanitizer, a lot of that. That helped us, right? Right. Where we were able to keep everybody employed. 
Uh, we were just doing it certainly to get it out to the market, not gouge anybody. I know there's a oh, lot. We, of, we donated over 200 yeah. different facilities. Right. And, and there's there were a lot of people out there gouging, making really bad yep. product, all of that stuff. We were just trying to make really good stuff, get it out to the market, and keep our people employed, keep the lights on. Because we didn't have sales of spirits really until June. Okay. Right? Started to see some come back. A couple of reasons for that. Our distributor had product, right? And because they buy product from us and they had some in reserve. On for them, they're like, we don't know, right? We're not gonna order a bunch of supplies because we don't know if people are gonna be buying. All these bars and restaurants are closed. Right. And grocery stores are like, we're not gonna order because we're gonna blow through all this product we got in the back and and see how that goes. So inventory levels went like this, yeah. right? That was crazy, yeah. right? Right. So then all of a sudden we start to see, you know, some of that come back. And, and so what we, we certainly didn't get where we thought we were going to go in 20, 2020, but from the position of having no bars and restaurants, some of it was replaced with people drinking at home for sure. Yeah. So we were able to go back to making spirits, which, you know, Evan and I didn't start a distillery to be a hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Company, but, <laughs> right. uh, Never thought I'd know so much about hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where it was interesting. It helped us, helped our team come together more closely. Yep. Like our sales team, they were great. You know, they weren't out in the market. They were here helping fill the bottles. Line, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, everybody was all hands on deck. And we were super proud right. of how they rallied to do that too. And uh, But we, it also helped us to get better at, being more efficient, mm -hmm. how do we do our process? A lot of that internal stuff where people weren't focused on selling to the market, we were focused on making product. Okay. Um, and it helped us get better in that regard. And as far as the supply chain, I mean, we did have some constraints on that too, where when we were coming back, there, and we're seeing it even more now into 21 than we were in 20, where glass is harder to get, mm -hmm. um, corks. So some of these people, because so much plastic was going out, right? For plexiglass and for oh, yeah. plastic bottles and trigger sprayers, like all of that plastic is on such high demand where they just can't replenish it now. And I think you're going to see a significant um, problem here going for the next three to six months. And just uh, plastic availability. Yeah, okay. in, in various forms. Like, okay. During, I mean, we, we had to like, we bought a hundred, we had a call, okay, like, hey, got 120,000 bottles in Mexico, like send them now, like yes, in. Gets to the border, get a call. Price changed. Want it to get across the border? <laughs> like, yeah, okay, sounds good. That's how this works. Perfect. This is coming from Mexico. The Mexico's Mexican yeah. government. Okay. Yeah, like, price okay. changed. Okay. All right. Want to get it across? Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> extortion. So. <laughs> but you were getting it from wherever you could get it. Yeah. 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 There was. I mean. Yes, we got some trigger sprayers from a guy. I don't still don't know what his business was. But I don't I think, think he had like, a business. I think his business. <laughs> he just was had like, trigger spray. I think, I think he was, yeah, a, he was like a hustler. Yeah, he was like finding stuff that fell off the back of trucks. I think is what he was. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, we're seeing it now from a glass perspective, where people went offline of making glass because they right. didn't know how much they needed to make, and now demands come back. Yeah. And now our, you know, thankfully we were in a good position with our our supplier, our glass supplier, where we had ordered forward and have some in stock. But there's this gap coming into the probably middle of Q2 into Q3, where we have to make some decisions on if there needs to be a different bottle or not okay. for some because we don't have it. So there, there is some of that. We're in a pretty good position, but you know, and, and that helps us too by having the foresight to order forward because there are national brands that 
they're out of stock on things and our, our distributor will take our products and help place it more uh, place more of it because we're in constant supply for them right. versus being out of stock on some others. Now, don't get me wrong, if Jim Beam happens to be out of stock and they come back in stock, they're probably going to get their placements. Yeah, right, own. right. Um, but it definitely helps us in, in that growth. But we, I mean, it's prices keep changing on us all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they say usually glass replies, reprices once a year. Mm-hmm. And we've seen two different price changes already in three months and been pushed out three or four months on our production of okay. glass that we need. So I think that's just people, one, either they were completely shut down and now they're coming back and they're on, their supplies are higher. Right. Um, and we're just going to feel the effects of that, I think, for, for quite some time. We have inbound calls from people that are like, hey, I saw your bottle. We use the same one. Um, can we buy? Do you have any stock? Can we buy from you? are like, mm, yeah, I'd love right. to help you, but no. We're gonna right. Keep some dry powder. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I mean, this is again, I think, is incredibly illuminating because we all hear about supply chain problems. We hear about the effects of everything that's happening in the world, but uh, to see it in real time, and you're talking about multiple repricings on one of your main uh, inputs, right? Like, and all of a sudden, again, getting back to that math of how do you get the bottle on the shelf at the right price? You're constantly having to deal with these internal fluctuations. Yeah. It's for real. What um, uh, I was going to ask about, so well. Getting back to this idea of like who's consuming what, so presumably you're seeing obviously drop off in terms of like restaurants and bars. Um, is that being completely made up by what you're seeing in grocery stores, or is it like how is it reshaping or recalibrating right now? Yeah, I mean our you know, 2020 like the the you know on premise was just it just was gone yeah. and you know it's, it's on premise meaning the bars yeah, and restaurants, bars and restaurants and, right, yeah. yeah. So I mean we we certainly saw an up uptick for sure and people people were getting more adventurous and creative in what they were doing so you know where normally they could go to a to a bar restaurant and get a get a cocktail yeah people were were actually um becoming like at-home mixologists and (laughs) and 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 it was pretty cool i mean the pictures we would get with people you know just you know customers that were sending pictures in of the creations that they made and were really proud of right um some were like really good involved recipes so yeah, I think a lot more people were buying off-premise or in the in the, the grocery store or chain stores and independent stores and, and, and doing stuff at home. So that helped, um, that along with sanitizer helped get us through the loss of, of on-premise. At the time, last year we were 60% on-premise, 40% like uh, off-premise. Okay. So, you know, having 60% of your, your business yeah. evaporate was, was certainly difficult. Right. On the... the the um, at-home mixologist sending you pictures. You get that up on your social media. Yeah, we've done a few. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fun. That to me, admittedly, I don't read much social media. I try not to. Um, but that seems like that would go viral. Where do you get your information from? All that stuff's true. What's that? On, oh yeah, on yeah, social media. yeah. Where do you get your information? <laughs> yeah, from? I know. I'm I'm old-fashioned. Um, <laughs> I read newspapers that aren't true as well. So, um, tell me. So I actually got one of your products uh, as a gift. Um, this Christmas, my cousin uh, Stacy bought me this bottle here that you just handed to me. It's got a big L on it. Tell me the story behind that. Is by the way, it's very good, and I Thank recommend you. it. So tell me about it. It's a it's a really fun story, actually. So we um, so I'll just kind of take a step back, explaining the L flag and W flag. So right. it's it's for the Cubs. So back in the early 1900s, um, 
they would raise a W flag if they won at Wrigley or an L flag if they lost. And so people coming past on the L would be able to see if they won or lost. The L being the train, not the L flag. Yeah, right, exactly, the L train. <laughs> right. um, so, so you, you know, they've, they've done this for years, and, and they, they've done it throughout their entire history. So when, when the Brewers went down to Wrigley for game 163, which I think was, is that three years ago now? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Three years ago, and we won. First of all, that was awesome. Um, so our, we, we really wanted to, to, to get our hands on that L flag that flew over Wrigley that day. Yeah. And then we wanted to to donate it to the to the Brewers, uh, to the to the um, community foundation. community foundation. Okay. And so so we reached out to the Cubs and we're like, hey, we've got a proposition for you. Um, you know, we'd like to. They sell their W flags after every win, so they sell them for a certain amount of money. And we're like, we'll double that for your charity. Here's why we want it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna fly it for one day at the distillery, and then we're gonna donate it, and then the Brewers can either. Maybe they want to auction it. Maybe it goes to Cooperstown. Maybe it goes in their archives. Whatever. Right. And they're like, "Yeah, no. <laughs> no, like it's not. <laughs> it's not. Well, we want to be open about it, right? Sure. And and so we thought, hey, they're they're our neighbors to the south. You know, we've got a fun rivalry <laughs> with them. And they didn't find it as, as fun as our idea as fun and, as, as and we you did. know, their defense, they've dealt with a lot of loss over the years. So they <laughs> they have. They definitely have. So so we um, listen. We're distillers. So. You know, we do what we do best. We made a we made a bourbon, <laughs> and so we uh, we made an, an L flag bourbon uh, in in dishonor of the Cubs, and then we made our own L flags. Uh, so so it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we were hoping that they'd maybe uh, be a little bit better sports, and, right. and we could raise money for a bunch of different charities. But right. we ended up just making the donation to the Milwaukee uh, Brewers Community <laughs> Foundation for for what we were going to give to the Cubs. Got it. So the flag is kept presumably in like a warehouse under Wrigley. No, they keep all their no, they no. they have. So this is interesting. So we found this out through all of our <laughs> annoying emails and calls to the the Cubs organization. Um, they have one L flag. That's it. Oh, so they just so we're like, like but part of the deal I was see. like, well, if you only have one, we'll buy you a new one. We'll, <laughs> we'll make you a new one, no problem. We just want the real one. So right, right. they still have the real one. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, so they don't. I guess logically, this makes sense. They don't put up a new L flag every time they lose, but they do put up a new W because they're yeah, making because they yeah, and and it's, got it. And but the, the, but the cool social too. the social interaction we get out of this is so great, right? So Cubs fans now know about it, uh-huh. and they will when they beat the Brewers, then they'll fly. They'll they'll post in you know to their Brewers fans. Right, right. Um, but the interesting <laughs> thing though, when we did this was, you know, we made just enough. We did 163 bottles. And it sold out in like minutes. I bet. Some guy from St. Louis kept calling and calling yeah, and calling. If Brewers fans, if you think we don't like the Cubs, <laughs> the Cardinals fans don't like the Cubs. Way worse than us. That's Some the guy truth. said, he called, and our bartender was like, hey, this guy keeps calling. Like, okay. He's like, I have a credit card. I will buy all 163 right now. <laughs> Fortunately, we can't ship, so that was uh, we weren't able to make that sale. But yeah. It, it's been. He super, kept calling different people. Though. I know, right? He was trying to get a different answer. Just working the angles. It was. We, we got calls from all over the country, which yeah. was really fun. Yeah. Um, but it's been an interesting. So last year, you know, we thought this is going to be great. We, you know, we kind of have our crap in a pile. We're going to be able to do this campaign with right. it. And then COVID happened, like right when baseball season was going. Yeah. Right. So last year was a little bit of a lull for us. 
but we still get to have the social interaction where people will send it. White Sox fans now know about it. They they'll, it. They'll, <laughs> they'll send it. Um, but it, it's just a fun thing to do, right? So right. people even, you know, they'll use it when the Packers and the Bears play, that right. type of thing too. So um, it was just something fun. And we're, this is lighthearted. We're not here to take ourselves too seriously. And, and I think Cubs fans in, in general understand that too. So, they simply I don't can't. know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they can't take themselves too seriously. You can't be a Cubs fan that takes yourself too seriously. This is my theory. Yeah. If your team has that track record. Yeah. But what do I know? So, well, that's a cool story. And it's it's a really good bourbon. I can say this for myself. I've actually had it. So, it's excellent. And it's finished in wine barrels. You talked about this a bit on the tour. Tell us about that. Like, what is... What's yeah, so, so our, our Red Cabin, that this was actually made before Red Cabin, and it was a blend of our of our regular bourbon and what Red Cabin became. Okay. Um, so Red Cabin is, it's it's such an amazing, it's such a great bourbon, and, and so what we do is we age it in New American White Oak Barrels, and then we re-barrel it into the California Cabernet Wine Barrels okay. for about 60 days, and it gives it a really beautiful, like, red hue um, super smooth finish, and, and you really can get a little bit of that wine barrel. It's really good. Hmm. We won the gold medal at the LA International Spirits Competition in 2019 for it. For so, Red Cabin? For Red and, Cabin. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, we actually gotcha. entered it before it was even released. That's really cool. Yeah. That was really cool. And a supply chain question here. So you've alluded yeah. to it, you've talked about the glass issue and the plastic issue. Uh, but as we walked around, we saw uh, Giant Bay Rye sourced locally. Talk about that kind of local emphasis on your supply chain, and not not just there's a branding element to that I think, which is important. There's like a just like local economy part of it. I also think there's like a risk component to it too. What talk about that a bit? Yeah, so the suppliers that we work with here locally have been great, right? So we have a lot of people that grow around the area the the products that we need. Our main inputs for our products are corn, rye, and barley. Okay. So those are our three main inputs. And in, in Wisconsin, of course, there's a lot of breweries, so there's a lot of people that would have, would have some of those components. But, right. um, you know, we, we worked really hard. When we started, we just kind of took what we could get. And because, again, if you just go through the yellow pages, right. for somebody that's like going to give you green. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. You know. <laughs> so now we were able to, to find those, those right uh, farmers. And in addition to that, we also have someone that mills it for us so that when it comes in, it's just ready to go. Okay. Versus, you know, some do have a mill in their facility that, the farmers do, or the no, or just a distiller. Just, okay, distiller got it. Got it, got it. Have a dusty mess though. Yeah, so yeah. that's yeah not something we wanted to do. So it's already right. milled when it comes in, and then we can dump it in. Okay. So, um, and we go that goes to uh, to the miller, and and then they deliver it once a month. And the nice thing about that is, you know, they're able to get the, get the supply. There's multiple people they can go to, so it's not just a single source in that regard either. Right. Um, so the risk is spread a little bit. But we're also helping to support those farmers too, okay. right? Yep. So that they have a place where they can sell that product, and and we know that we're going to get good supply that we like, and the yield comes out of it really nicely. Okay. Um, so so we're we're in a, in a good position from how we're getting our our ingredients that way, which is great. And so we've tried to do some cross stuff as well. So like these are our brandy and bourbon cherries. Okay. So we're trying to do. I mean, you have. So and they've Dor got your. They're just for the audience. Your name is on them. Central Standards. Yeah, on correct. Them. So yeah. so Dorcani Cherry, one of our best sellers. So we work with with uh, Sequest Farms up in in Door County, and so okay. we we get the the Dorcani cherries that we use as a, a natural process, and we use local honey in here as well. Okay. Um. So our bourbon. Uh, Red Cabin Bourbon and North Brandy, I mean, they, 
cocktail cherries are, are great in many cocktails that you can make with those. So right. we're using the same cherries um, that we use for Dorkani cherry hmm. um, to package these fantastic cocktail cherries. And they're they're Dorkani cherries, so they're a little bit tart. They're not super sweet. Right. Um, but they're really they're a great addition. Yeah. And they're soaked in booze. So. And they're so- <laughs> yeah, we came out with that. On, in February, kind of on a not on a whim, but something like all right, we'll try. We'll, it. we'll place an order and see what happens. We'll we'll see what we ordered four times already to okay. replenish because they've been yeah. selling out. As soon as we order, we get them in and they're gone again. So, where do you so your cherry product? Where is that kept before you, or is it just like gets in bottled out the door? Or because I didn't see cherry sitting around here. Yeah. How's so, so when it comes in, so it's the vodka, right? So we yep. make the vodka. And then the the juice is already made before it comes, right? Ah, okay. So Got it. so they they blend that. We add add the honey, and then it goes in that way. So um, it's a it's a really great product. That one was, I mean, I never thought we'd have a flavored vodka, and it's a home run. And it's working. It's Chris great. Lawrence on our team swears by it. So you know what, what's <laughs> great about what what's great about Door County Cherry is that again going back to that that COVID at home bartender. Mm-hmm. This is going to make you look like a hero. I mean, right. this is this is you can make a, a, a Milwaukee Mule with that. I mean, it's great with ginger beer, great with lemonade. I mean, you can mix it with any juice. Put it with Coke. It's cherry Coke. I mean, right. it's like, I'm so excited. Oh, it's so good. Even it's with so just good. even with just soda, like club soda, it's yeah. really right. good too. So you don't have to add any just. But it's it's as we started to talk about, it's it's almost like an RTD with it's, you can just mix it with one or one or two things, right? It's super simple. Right, um, so it's pretty good that way. That's outstanding. Yeah, this little guy too. We're coming out. So. It's not in a plastic bottle. It's in a non-breakable, recyclable bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's half the size. So so normal bottles of, of alcohol are, are usually seven hundred fifty milliliters. That's a three hundred seventy five milliliter bottle. Okay. Um and and so really what what this product is it's really me- it, it's like on the go. So for around the pool on a boat, um in your golf bag. Right. Uh, it's it's in a safe container where you don't have to worry about breaking glass. Gotcha. That's outstanding. So tell us about, well, obviously we're talking about uh, Door County Cherry. Tell us about both of your favorite products. And if you, I don't know if this is possible to say you have a favorite product, if that's like picking your favorite kid. But if you did, what would it be? Who's your favorite kid? <laughs> can't do, I didn't ask that question. No, like my actual real kid. <laughs> <or? laughs> Depends on the day. No, I, I think it's ever evolving for me, quite sure. honestly. Right now, I'm, I'm really excited about the gin that we have coming out. When okay. we started, I hated gin. I thought gin was something that you drank in your grandma's basement because it was the only thing you could find to get drunk when you were yeah. in high school. Right. College. <laughs> after you were 21. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I, it was, I thought it was terrible. I was like licking a pine tree. And now, uh, I love it. I think it's great. So, I'm really excited about that. And What's but, it going to be called? Uh, yeah, guided trail, guided trail, guided trail okay. gin. So it has this. Will look nothing like that, but I mean, this is kind of the mock-up of it. Okay, but as as you can see from our product set, you know, Red Cabin, North Brandy, um, and the Door County Cherry. It was we were kind of coming in on this vibe of being outdoorsy, right? Um, that that feel. So this kind of this felt right, felt right for what we were going for. But that I would say that's currently my favorite. Our our Red Cabin is. I love it. Definitely Door County Cherry. Like the brand, I, I don't know. They're, they're all a, really great. It's a, right? For me, but it is seasonal. seasonal. Yeah. And so, like during the winter, I, I, you know, we we really this idea of starting a distillery was 
it came out of a night of drinking bourbon, which we really like. So right. we really like bourbon. So Red Cabin, um, for me, is is probably my the thing I drink the most. Uh, and then Old Fashions I drink because I mean, I'm from Wisconsin. You're from I, Wisconsin. I, I drink them all year round, <laughs> even when it's warm out. And then uh, and Door County Cherry, for, it's, it's super refreshing, right? So And that's, again, where, where Jim's going to, super citrusy. Right. And... And just, you know, you can drink it with a lot of different types of uh, fruits and on a patio. Yeah, right. We have a, we have a barrel strength um, bur- bourbon that Evan and I, oh, we, yeah. we may actually drain the entire barrel before we start. No, we should stop it. sampling it. <laughs> that, that's always our good go-to on Fridays to have a little nip of that. But, yeah. uh, right. Man, that's so good. We're oh, really it's excited. Friday. It is Friday. It, it is Friday. You're all it's queued up and ready to go. Yeah. It is good Friday. So, yeah, I would say... You know, th- those are the things that that we just kind of seasonally have used, I guess. Well, again, I mean, not, so for for us in our previous careers, we didn't have like any outlet for creativity. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about about a distillery is we get to come up with really good and also very dumb ideas and <laughs> see if they're good. It's like you know, raise the flag up and see if it flies. And our team has gotten very good at R and D. And also humoring our uh, dumb ideas, and so it, it's it is it's a lot of fun, and we you know we get together and sample a lot, and and uh, and see see what's next. So we have, you know, we can't release products fast enough as we have things that we think that we can release. So well, you have art, you have science, and you've got obviously a market you're trying to get things to. But like it, um, the R and D piece has to be interesting, right? Because it. People know what they know, but right as you as you try new things, right, you get something else new into the market, like Door County Cherry, and suddenly it's something that didn't exist before, but it does today. And bam, there you go. That's outstanding. What makes it, so? It's been a weird year or year and a half. Well, whatever it's been, I don't even remember it anymore. It's been weird, um, terrible and awful <laughs> yeah, in different weird. ways. Um, but what makes you aspirate or, or hopeful, really, for the future of your distillery as you sit here today and you look out? What makes you hopeful? And excited. You know, we've got something really big to look forward to, the opening of our new facility downtown. So, you know... In I July, think, right? Yeah, in July. Right. I mean, so the, the future is going to be bright. Um, you know, we've, we've really, we've invested in our team. We've professionalized our, our sales team. Um, we've opened up new markets. So last year, we, we uh, started distribution in Michigan. Okay. And we're just, uh, this month, going to be opening up Iowa and Minnesota. Okay. And so that those are big steps for us and, and a way for us to, you know, Pat and I, we didn't start this, you know, we're going to be a, a national distillery and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> we really, our goal is to be regional. We're really proud of where we're from. And, you know, I think our story resonates uh, in, in, in states that are contiguous to ours. Um, so that that's our goal moving forward. And, you know, even things like this podcast, which we really appreciate you taking the time to do, Whenever we get to tell our story, whenever we get to have people come into our spaces, taste our product, um, and hopefully they have a good experience with it and, and tell friends and, and, and support us in, in the market. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the, the interesting thing that has, has come of this is being able to see how um, people have come together. I mean, it's been you know a difficult year in a lot of ways for a lot of things, but um, this... And as we've released the renderings and things for our new building, the amount of people that have reached out and saying, hey, when is it going to be open? When can I rent your event space? Right. Yeah. We were hesitant on what that would look like because are people going to want to go out and do things in, in right. groups? 
And the answer is yes. Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> right. And I think, you know, is that going to be full every night, every day, right away? No, and we get that. But I think the, it's hopeful that people are asking if they can book right now yeah. for things. Right. And where other people are at those things. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I think that's encouraging that people do want to get out there. They do want to support the businesses again, and they want to be in groups together. So uh, we're hopeful with all of that and, and seeing that people you know, are buying our products, they mm-hmm. are supporting us. Um, it, it's been awesome. And you know, to have other states also desire our products, that's, right. I think, one of those starting where we were to where we are in, in where we're going is, is, in, is incredible. Like there's some days where we don't do enough of sitting and understanding what we've grown to, I think, because we're always on to the next thing. Right. But it is sometimes nice to, to have, you know, an event like this to sit down and talk about it and tell our story to understand that there are a lot of good things we have done, um, which, again, coming from two idiots that didn't know anything <laughs> about this. To still be standing today, you know, I told my I told my wife, I've told him too, my work wife here, that uh, you know, once you sign one personal guarantee, the rest of them get a lot easier uh, for all the money that we have on the line. So we hope that this thing keeps going, uh, but it's, it, it it is we are hopeful for the future for sure. That's outstanding. Well, we're happy to share the story. It's a great one, and it cuts across so many different things of. First, entrepreneurialism, it's its the risk factor, willing to put yourself out there. And I, one of the cool things to think about the story is you come to this without an expert understanding of distilling. And here is a successful distillery run by you both with your team. And that's, boy, I think it's a great message for so many people to hear that, yes, you can try things and you can give them a shot and start small, build big over time and learn as you go. And it's incredibly important. And I love that we talked about some yeah, regulatory and tax uh, implications, because I think it's important for people to understand that. And and then there's a message here about the importance of people uh, having options to do fun things in their life. And I hope that our policymakers are thinking about this critically, because clearly when you lock up millions upon billions of people, there's bad outcomes in so many different ways. So we can be responsible and smart about uh, the health threat of COVID-19, but yet also to realize the world has to move forward or else there's other bad outcomes that we have to deal with economically and socially too but and this was a great story to hear on so many different levels on all these different fronts and um pat and evan thank you for having us and, and letting the right idea podcast come here and i urge all our listeners to check out uh central standard uh distillery and all the different products and their new retail uh outlet opening up in the third ward in milwaukee so thanks for having us and we Appreciate look forward it. to seeing you again soon I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.